0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams.
1: And hello everyone, welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. I am in San Diego for the National Biodiesel Conference. About 700 in attendance here at the National Biodiesel Conference. And they are learning uh, about this industry that uh, I think a lot of people really aren't very aware of, and even though it's been around for several years now, still a lot to learn. Did you know, for instance, that uh, this is now a nearly 3 billion gallon industry that supports more than 60,000 jobs? I don't know that a lot of people realize uh, the size of the national biodiesel industry and uh, its impact on our economy, and certainly... Uh, we look at uh, the potential of further growth in this industry and uh, that's what we'll be talking about here the next couple of days in San Diego A look at where the industry's at it's had another up-and-down year and we'll also be looking at the future of this industry over the course of the next couple of days on our broadcast from here in San Diego thanks for joining us and we are joined now by Don Scott he is director of sustainability for the National Biodiesel
2: Board Don, good to see you. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Thanks for you Thanks for you being here.
1: You know, uh, there's a lot of talk about sustainability right now, yep. and there are a lot of definitions of sustainability, but there is obviously going to be a growing emphasis, I think, in the public discussion and uh, maybe even in legislation. Who knows about climate change and those types of issues, environmental impact. Uh, I would think, and this may surprise some people because they may not be aware of it, but I would say the, the biodiesel industry is in a very good position and a good story to tell uh, about uh, the environmental footprint, the sustainability
2: of this industry. We we have a, a great story to tell. Um, I mean, sustain, Sustainability, when it comes down to it, is how do we use the, the resources that we have today without... Uh, we want to make sure that those resources are still available for future generations to make the decisions that, that they want to make with those resources. Uh, sustainability is a balance between... Uh, environmental impacts, what we can do economically, and what people are going to value socially. And we think biodiesel uh, has good things for all of that. Uh, we support support rural life, we uh, do good things for the economy, and we're reducing emissions for the environment.
1: I'm always frustrated uh, by critics of the renewable fuels industry, whether it's ethanol or biodiesel, that question the environmental Uh, Benefits of of biofuels, and they continue to question whether or not it is good for the environment. To me, that's one of the strong suits, uh, the big selling points of the of the industry.
2: It certainly is. Now, the question is a good question. Like, are we doing good things for the environment? Uh, The important thing is to look at the science for that answer. And the truth is that the renewable fuel standard is doing great things for the environment. Uh, It's reducing emissions. Uh, You know, biodiesel alone has reduced over 150 million tons of carbon dioxide emissions. Um, the concern is, you know, are we doing responsible things with agriculture? And in fact, we are, the farmers are increasing yields. They're becoming more efficient. They're producing more food on fewer acres. So at the same time we are feeding people, keeping food costs down, and we're producing renewable fuel. The footprint of agriculture is actually shrinking. We're farming 23 million less acres today than we were farming in 2007 when the RFS was passed.
1: I usually find that the critics, the, those who question the environmental benefits of bio, biofuels are the ones that are anti-agriculture, usually are very critical of, uh, of our food production system in this country in general.
2: Yeah, that's true. And so you won't find a, a lot of those people coming from the Midwest. You know, They're coming from the coast or they're coming from, from Europe where they have perceptions about agriculture, but they don't have a lot of firsthand knowledge about it.
1: So how do we make this message even better what what steps can we take to make it even stronger
2: well you know we've been working at the National Biodiesel Board for over a decade to to build better science Uh, and we're learning through that process that science is good science is important but you also have to be able to communicate that to people essentially we have to build relationships with those people even those people that are they're critical of us uh, we have to find some common ground and explain to them how we're seeking the same thing so we want to improve the environment we want to reduce emissions um, and, you know, it's, it's difficult, difficult, but you have to have communications with people. We're talking with Don Scott, Director of
1: Sustainability for the National Biodiesel Board. Of course, we look at biodiesel, uh, the, we think primarily of the soybeans as the raw uh, material, but there are several
2: other products that are used as well. Yep. Um, so soybeans make up about half of the biodiesel we, we make in the U.S. today. Uh, the other half is made from almost equal portions of used cooking oil, uh, animal fats, distiller's corn oil. Uh, five to ten percent of that comes from canola so it's very diverse it's growing in diversity uh, as we continue to grow the industry
1: now that's the key how do we grow this industry and we get into a lot of other issues that we'll be discussing here the next couple days when it comes to things on the federal level but uh, how do we get that growth uh, at the grassroots level that's a
2: challenge right you know the industry was built to get rid of these extra oils we have more oils than we can eat Uh, we've proved that we can do that successfully but we also proved it in the process. We support jobs. We do good things for the environment. So it would be nice to extend those benefits if we can grow the industry beyond those existing feedstocks. Um, is there, we've got researchers looking at, at cover crops and other kinds of, of crops, things like algae, things to, to convert more waste grease. So essentially what we need is we need to expand the market so that we're putting more biodiesel into the market to continue those economic incentives for Research and innovation for that additional production.
1: I want to get back to the greenhouse gas emissions because that's where there's going to be a lot of uh, scrutiny. I think on on Mm -hmm. agriculture in general as we move forward, and there's more talk about the the environment and climate change and those types of issues. Uh, Tell us more about the the story that biodiesel has to has to tell there, and and how do we measure? How do we get a good accurate account of, of? when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions, what we're
2: doing. Right, and that's one thing that, that we are very thorough when we account for our emissions. Uh, plants, like soybeans, plants are very good at taking solar energy and storing that in a in a vegetable oil that we use to make biodiesel. In that process, they're taking carbon dioxide out of the air, um, so so that is very simple. We also take responsibility for any of the fossil fuel emissions in production. So if we're still using diesel fuel and gasoline in trucks and tractors for farming and transportation and electricity and natural gas and producing biodiesel, we're taking responsibility for those emissions. And uh, in what we call you know, a, a life cycle approach, biodiesel reduces greenhouse gases by about 80% compared to petroleum. Um, now, if we can, can get the rest of the fossil fuels out of our production, if we can use renewable natural gas or renewable electricity or so, uh, solar photovoltaics to produce biodiesel, we can get closer and closer to 100% greenhouse gas reduction or completely carbon neutral uh, with biodiesel. Is that the goal? I think so. It really depends on the market. I mean, that's something we could do today. Uh, uh, states like California are trying to incentivize that. They're trying to reward producers based on their carbon intensity. And so when those rewards make sense to, yeah, you know, we'll spend a little bit more money to acquire renewable natural gas instead of using um, you know, cheap, highly available uh, petroleum natural gas or fossil fuel natural gas. That's something we can totally do. So that's the potential that is out there for the industry. That's just one of the many potentials. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, there really are a lot of possibilities
1: out there that uh, we're you know hopefully going to be able to get uh, into and explore in the in the years ahead. But. Uh, Uh, There's a success here that's a story that's not being told, and we're going to try to do that and get more information out about the biodiesel industry. Don, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. All right. Don Scott, Director of Sustainability for the National Biodiesel Board. Coming up next, we're going to talk with the uh, biodiesel lead for the Illinois Soybean Association and uh, talk about some of the activities uh, farmers are involved in to get this message out about this uh, very important fuel Biodiesel. Stay with us from the National Biodiesel Conference in San Diego. More information coming up here on AOA Adams
3: on Agriculture. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe
4: you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you gonna do? You gotta go grocery shopping. Cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. I know you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org
5: caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
1: And welcome back. We are in San Diego for the National Biodiesel Conference. About 700 in attendance. And, well, my next guest, talk about... uh, bringing back a lot of memories. I first started learning about biodiesel some 20, 25 years ago, I guess, in Illinois working with folks at the Illinois Soybean Association, and one of the people that uh, I work closely with to get information about biodiesel, Rebecca Richardson. She is the biodiesel lead for the Illinois Soybean Association. Good to see you again.
6: Good to see you too,
1: Mike. I think back to those early days and, and this industry just getting started. Illinois, Illinois Soybean Association was one of those. There were others, other states getting involved too. But I remember being one of the early states to to make an investment in the industry.
6: And you and I were talking about how that has certainly paid off. Definitely, um, we in the mid nineties or early nineties, right after, kind of right after the checkoff became a, a national checkoff. Uh, the Illinois Soybean Association started investing pretty heavily in biodiesel. They saw great, uh, great potential for it, and uh, I remember one of the first things they invested in was, was the health effects testing um, that was required for all producers to have. So uh, it, it's been a really great uh, payback for, um, in fact, it's probably the story uh that we have
1: you know when i see now that this is a nearly three billion gallon industry supporting sixty thousand i mean too often we get caught up in well, I wish we could do more, or I wish we were doing more, and hopefully we will. But sometimes you got to stop and look back and say, look how far we've come.
6: Absolutely, I, you know, I try to uh, sometimes it as as uh, soybean farmers invest checkoff dollars, and they're very, uh, they try to be very judicious about how they make those investments. Um, you know when when you've invested in something for a long time you, you do have to look back and say well is this something that i should continue investing in or has it made it hasn't it made it uh you know it's kind of like everything else you if you aren't at the table you know you you really lose track of uh, making sure that um, your voice is heard in an industry that continues to grow up
1: very challenging to get into the fuels market. It is complicated. There are a lot of hurdles, as both ethanol and biodiesel have learned over the years. Um, I think back, uh, you knew it was going to be a niche market, especially to begin with. I remember going uh, to different events and uh, where, where school buses were using it and we would talk about oh it smells like french fries out the exhaust pipe and things like that so we've come a long way
6: yes absolutely and and you know it it continues there continues to be a lot of research and and uh, engine technology has mm-hmm. has changed so much and uh you you know you tend to think well you know we've invested in this now we need to move on to something else but this has been a, a an investment that continues to pay uh soybean farmers every day 365 days a year and has for a long time and when you think about you know 73 cents a bushel that's that's really a significant uh, payback many times more than the than the investment they're making in the checkoff itself
1: correct me if i'm wrong but i i think back to when this started part of the emphasis or the impetus was well, soybean oil was a real Glut, you know, on the market yes. and, and depressed prices, and looking for a market, and it kind of started there, didn't it?
6: Yeah, people were dumping oil. I mean, crushers had to find a place to put oil so they could crush more soybeans for protein, and and that's really one of the greatest stories about the product that we have is that you never grow a soybean for for its oil. You always grow soybean for its protein, and so we have this byproduct that um, in that we really struggled with what to, you know, with, with what we would do with it, and as tr- the trans fat issue has uh, become uh, one that isn't favorable to, to the soybean industry, um, biodiesel came along at right the at the right time because um, we lost a lot of the food market um, about 10 years ago, and uh, you know the, the biodiesel industry grew up really during that very same time.
1: And now we're growing more soybeans than ever, and yet we look at uh, you know the the challenge with prices. Uh, uh, where would we be without uh, the biodiesel industry?
6: I yeah, I'd hate to want. I'd hate to know you know yeah. where prices would be without it
1: talking with rebecca richardson she is the biodiesel lead for the illinois soybean association uh you mentioned the engine technology that was part of this too to get those manufacturers to to kind of work in 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 partnership with the industry and with the fuel to make this work
6: yeah one of the projects that that the illinois soybean farmers continue to invest in is um uh, making sure that the engine manufacturers are up to date and they know exactly what's going on in the biodiesel industry. So for example, when we need to change the specification uh, and it's happened 23 times since uh, since the uh, biodiesel got its first provisional standard from ASTM, Uh, but every time we change it, we work with those engine manufacturers to make sure we're doing the right thing. And we've been very proactive in terms of making sure our standard is well protected and that it moves forward to keep up with the demands of the engine manufacturers.
1: So then you had a couple things going on. We were trying to get awareness out there, trying to get farmers to use their own product, basically, and then to find these other markets, and then to get it more available in the marketplace. So there are a lot of things were going on here at the same time.
6: Right. And in Illinois, we've been very fortunate that in 2003, the state legislature um, decided that they wanted to build the biodiesel industry in, in Illinois. And so they um, put into place uh, a sales tax incentive. So if you blend a biodiesel or, and sell it in blends above B10, um, you can get an exemption of state sales tax, and that's really, really been um, an impetus t- for for the industry to to put its to grow up in, in Illinois. We we're one of the largest producers, and we're also one of the largest users of biodiesel in the country, and that's largely due to that uh, favorable policy that was put into place. Some what is it? Fifteen years ago, now sixteen.
1: And we've seen it grow. Other states doing a great job now uh, promoting it and, uh, and and selling it, uh, but it's not without its challenges too. And as you look to the future to take that next step, what do you think needs to be done now?
6: Well, it's interesting. In the last couple of um, in the last couple of months, I've been working on a project where we are going to look at the ocean vessel uh, industry and um, the international Maritime Organization uh, which is part of um, uh, part of the NATO uh, program uh, that is a worldwide organization is is requiring that sulfur be reduced to a half a percent. Uh, from three and a half, it's currently three and a half percent. And we, I think, and, and the soybean farmers think possibly there is a place for biodiesel to fit into that industry. So we're constantly looking for new projects, new markets. And, um, you know, we, we recognize that, you know, we, we have a lot, we have a lot of potential for growth.
1: As the discussion heats up again on on climate change in this country. I think agriculture in general kind of recoils a little bit because of past experiences of criticism and attacks and wondering what's going to be pushed down as far as regulations that could impact them economically. But I think overall, if it's in the right framework, uh, we've got a great story here to tell. And this plays into the wheelhouse for ethanol and biodiesel, I think.
6: I do too. And you know, in fact, we have a perfect uh, scenario and case in point Uh, where uh, California just um, put into place a a, a low-carbon fuel standard. And biodiesel is fitting very nicely into meeting that low-carbon fuel standard. So I agree with you. I think that there are naysayers on the climate change uh, argument, and we wouldn't, you know, we won't go into that. But I think that if, if, you know, if uh, those in agriculture would really kind of take a step back, there is tremendous opportunity for us to play into that market because we have you know, nature's best uh, product at our fingertips. We, we grow it and we, you know, we sell it. So it's to our advantage to uh, to work in that sector. And
1: I think the key moving forward is what direction it's going to take, what, what are the parameters that are set for it? And will agriculture be given that opportunity to, uh, to use its strengths in that? We'll see how that plays out. Um, you know, I think, too, you know, we talk primarily soybeans, but uh, this is an industry that has room for other raw materials to be used too. It's not like you ha- you are trying to push those aside. There's plenty of room at the table here, right?
6: Yeah, um, the uh, most of the early adopters of uh, and the the early leaders in the biodiesel industry recognize that you know soybean oil is the preferred product for biodiesel, but the the whole. Uh, the potential for growth is when you consider other feedstocks, and those feedstocks also help our industry. So, if you have used beef tallow as the as the original feedstock, um, you know that raises the uh, that raises the price and the value of a of a beef carcass, and the same in the pork industry, the same in the chicken industry.
1: What about the industry right now, as far as profitability is concerned?
6: Well, I mean, there are things that you know. We're, we're never gonna set the price and we shouldn't. We don't have an interest in doing that. Our work is on making sure there are no barriers for people using biodiesel because it's a high performing, it is a, a, a low carbon intensity fuel that, is, that should always be available. And when margins and then when the economy shifts, as, it, as we know it always does, when prices go up, we, we're there to help fill the void.
1: Great to see you again. You too, Mike. All right. Rebecca Richardson, she's the biodiesel lead for the Illinois Soybean Association. Stay with us. Much more to come from the National Biodiesel Conference going on here in San Diego. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
7: Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network.
8: Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions I'll tell you like I'll tell them all? Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's one 800 352 I believe every inventor deserves the
9: opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Here's a morning market check for Atoms on Agriculture, brought to you by the American Ag Network. As expected, a mixed start to the grain market as volatility continues amid the government shutdown. A mixed start at least for corn and soybeans. The U.S. government shutdown and U.S.-Chinese trade talks, the main focus for the corn and soybean market. Meanwhile, the wheat market has jumped this morning amid rumors of increased export demand. But there's no USDA confirmation. The USDA may not issue crop reports now until at least February, due to the government shutdown. Taking a look at the morning prices: March corn down a half at 3.81 and a quarter; May down a half at 3.89 and a half. Soybeans for March up a quarter at 9.17; May beans are up a half at 9.30 and a half. The wheat market is up this morning: Chicago wheat for March up seven and a half at 5.25 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat for March up 7 at 5:13. Minneapolis wheat for March is up three and a half at 577 and 3 quarters. May wheat for Minneapolis up 2 and three quarters. A mixed start to the livestock market, not much activity. as uh, we get rolling again, following the Martin Luther King holiday on Monday. Cash cattle and cash hogs almost non-existent today, although activity is expected to pick up as the week goes along. February live cattle down 72 at 12580, April down 62 at 12675. Feeder cattle for January down 67 at 14077, March down a dollar 7 at 14175, April down a dollar 15 at 14325. Lean hogs for February up 67 at 6192, April up 17 at 6645. From the American Ag Network.
5: Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
1: And welcome back from the National Biodiesel Conference going on in San Diego. Joined now by Greg Anderson, soybean farmer from Nebraska, who's a member of the National Biodiesel Board. And Greg, uh, you have been
8: involved with this industry for many years. I remember, you know, even back about 2004, I believe, when we had the first conference and to see, I remember doing some radio interviews, even radio interviews with you as well that year because I was, I remember that year because it was, I was vice chairman of the United Soybean Board And we were knocking on the door of 100 million gallons across the country. I think back of that now and just to see how much the industry has grown. Uh, Now biodiesel is commercially available in all 50 states. It's America's first advanced biofuel that uh, has that uh, distinction. And uh, you know, we have a lot of room for growth and the future is exciting.
1: Yeah, I think back, we were talking about this, uh, the last segment with Rebecca Richardson. We look back and see how far the industry has come. I mean, we're focused always on it growing more, and that's a big part of it. But you have to sometimes stop and reflect back and to think, and there were there were no assurances, no guarantees this was going to work, right? And and look how it's grown.
8: It really has. Uh... Back then, a lot of the investment and still does come from Qualified State Soybean Boards, the Soybean Checkoff, as well as the United Soybean Board, where we fund a lot of research, technical projects, and that type of thing. And that's worked. Uh, We've seen uh, biodiesel being widely adopted all over from city fleets to municipalities. Uh, out here in California, exciting to be here because this is one of the the tip of the spear really for biodiesel usage in the future. But then you think of the the cold northeast and the storms they're getting, it's uh, biodiesel with now bioheat is heating uh, millions of homes uh, safely, economically and sustainably. So uh, with that, uh, biodiesel has a, a bright future and we say it's coast to coast, it really is and everywhere in between.
1: Well, you know, it, we knew it was somewhat of a niche market starting off, and you had to find the, that niche, and those then it became niches, and they've kind of grown and grown. As you said, the bioheat's been a big one, so there have been a lot of different things develop in these last few
8: years. It really has. I remember back first using biodiesel, I had to splash blend it with like two and a half mm-hmm. gallon jugs, and <laughs> you, know, you think now I can get it from my fuel supplier, uh, you know, just very easy, just a couple miles away, actually, where I live from town. And I can get it any blend level I, I like. And so that has uh, that's a process that has taken a lot of time, a lot of work, but we're slowly gaining on that. And, and I'm excited to see agriculture really embrace uh, biodiesel to the extent that it is. Well, that was part of the challenge. I remember... For a long time, the emphasis was get farmers to use their own product, right? <laughs> yeah, we grow it. We have a soybean oil in abundance, as well as other feedstocks, so from corn oil to recycled cooking oil, and certainly you know, a lot of feedstocks to draw from. And it makes sense to use our own products. And what's really great about this, Mike, is that... Um, we aren't robbing the food table from, from doing this. We're using excess oils, excess fats, uh, converting them into fuel, which we can then burn. And, and so uh, I like to see it from a, a full cycle. I, I plant my soybeans, I, I raise them, I power my combine and equipment on the on the fuel that I raise, so to speak.
1: Mm-hmm. We're talking with Greg Anderson from Nebraska. He's a board member for the National BioDiesel Board, has been active uh, in this industry uh, for years and years now. Um, you know, when we look at how this really, we been building this market. I remember working with school districts to get them to use it in, in school buses, which made a lot of sense to me. You were, when your kids are around those exhaust fumes around school buses, you wanted the, you know, uh, the, an emphasis on quality, air quality, and things like
8: that. And and that's been a big part of this message and growth too. Oh yes. Uh- City bus fleets, school districts have embraced this. You think about children who are standing there waiting for that bus, that bus pulls up, and if it's emitting emissions, that's that's harmful to them. So we really had uh, what was called a soccer mom movement, so to speak. Uh, we, we dealt with school districts across the country, a lot of them have embraced this fully. And, uh, you know, using a B20 blend, it it shows that it does drastically uh, reduce emissions. And so that's why so many city fleets are using it in their transportation systems. Uh, I think of New York City, which I visited just uh, not long ago, where they're using it, uh, you know, year-round at certain blend levels, uh, using it in their their, uh, fire department equipment, their emergency vehicles, their garbage trucks, uh, maintenance vehicles. And it shows the integrity of the fuel where people have confidence to use it year-round. So there was an emphasis to go to those cities and try to
1: get it in their vehicles. Uh, we saw some embrace that, some were more skeptical.
8: Uh, how is that coming now to get more involved? Well, I think uh, one of the things that we really have going for us is that so many of the, the OEMs or the original equipment manufacturers endorsed it at a B20 level. And so when that's the case, uh, they see that, well, if this is endorsed by the engine, certainly it's the, they've done their testing. and soybean checkoff, as well as other entities, uh, have really helped in putting money towards that testing. Lots of uh, road miles of testing, research, and, and data to show that hey, this is uh, this is a fuel that reduces emissions. It uh, reduces carbon. It is. Uh, a safe, clean uh, fuel that does not need en- engine modifications and that's the other big thing. A lot of people say well I don't know if I want to use biodiesel if I have to convert over to something and that's the beauty of this fuel. You put it in your tank and you go. So, uh, Even with uh, you know uh, winter vehicles that uh, keep the runways clean out at the uh, big airports uh, using a B20 and their snow blowers and their snow removal equipment it really shows that biodiesel works everywhere. Now you have
1: all that data to look back on but back in those days when you were going to a fleet manager they were asking questions like uh you know is it going to be good for the engine over a long period of time? What about the cost that's involved? There were a lot of questions, and you and you were you were trying to convince them it was going to be okay. But it's it's got to be easier now that you can look back and say, look, you can look at the last 20 years and how it's performed.
8: Yeah, we have like 45 million road miles of testing, so I don't know of any other fuel that has that uh, capability as on the advanced biofuel side. And certainly now, when a few number of years ago, when the, the government uh, reduced these uh, sulfur content from 500 parts per million allowed to only 15 it made it a very uh, dry fuel it did clean up the air but uh, now it was almost uh, the pendulum had swung to where okay what are we going to do about engine lubricity Mm -hmm. and uh, showing we have tests showing that even a 2% to 5% blend level virtually solved that problem and so that's a big plus for us as well as we go through here you're going to have protection for your hard-working diesel engines which are very expensive to maintain I might add and, uh, and that gives the confidence, the integrity of the fuel to show that, hey, this works. And that not only works, but it's a stellar fuel. It's a it's a, it's a a fuel that really delivers on its promise.
1: You know, when I think of all these uses now that have grown out of those early
8: years, uh,
1: where do you see it going from here? Yeah,
8: yeah I, I you know, really, Mike, I think sky's the limit. We have a very aggressive goal to be in 10% of the diesel pool by the year 2022 and uh, we're advancing towards that. I think uh, steps such as RFS, the Renewable Fuel Standard, which has been helpful uh, to keep uh, growing that volume. Uh, we, we still want to work with the 116th Congress to show that this is, this is uh, these volumes need to be uh, increased. Uh, EPA, we we're, have a good relationship with them. We, we've given them data to show that, uh, okay, so they've released a number of 2.43 billion gallons for 2020. Uh, we have the capacity in, in the United States to do much more than that we have the feedstock to do much more than that let's grow this fuel and I think Mike with uh, biodiesel really being the tip of the spear of all advanced biofuels whether it be cellulosic or or, or all of them uh, it's the one that's working now so let's let's go go with this let's continue to grow it um, for, as a soybean farmer I need it to to keep uh, profitable it, brings about 63 cents a bushel to my bottom line and and really uh, we're going to be knocking on the door here in uh, 2019 of using almost 8 billion pounds of soybean oil and uh, we need that market to keep it going. What about the price when, when someone
1: is looking at using it in a fleet or something like that because there are always questions about what, you know, they're looking at the financial
8: side of it. How does that, uh, you know, what's your story there? To them. Well, a personal example, I go to my fuel supplier and say, what can I get a B10 for compared to my petroleum, diesel, and I can see that most of the time it's just a few cents cheaper or else it's just right there. And I think that's what where a lot of the uh, city managers, because, you know, frankly, they're watching their, mo- their money, and rightfully so. They're spending uh, uh, money from their mun- municipality or their fleets and they have budgets that they need to meet, but uh, we're seeing that uh, right now it's, it's a very healthy environment. Uh, fuel prices across the country are, are down and uh, feedstock uh, prices are low. Actually, you know, soybean oil isn't where it was a few years ago when it rocketed up to over 60 cents a pound. Now it's it's much, much lower than that. And so uh, biodiesel producers are making money and uh, we're, we're seeing that in spite of the fact that the tax incentive has not been renewed. So uh, I'm confident that uh, biodiesel will always have a place in the marketplace and the marketplace will help uh, sift that out. What is the relationship with the petroleum industry
1: we know it's adversarial much of the time with ethanol in the petroleum industry oil industry big oil
8: what yeah. about with biodiesel well but you know the, the oil industry understands that biodiesel is not going away we're we're now a major league player uh, we're in the game uh, it's not like uh, we're in for for a little while and then they can just snuff us out they've seen that that and you know it's <laughs> it's one of those things where uh oil and gas have had tax incentives in place for a long long time some of them over 100 years and uh, they never expire and yet we're working on a platform where our tax incentive has has expired seven times since the year 2006 and that's kind of a rough environment to live in frank, frankly because it gives uncertainty to the biodiesel producers do we expand do we uh, hire more what about this tax incentive is it going to be there next year is it going to be off is congress going to reinstate it we have uh, many champions in in the House and Senate, though, that understand this, that get this, and I'm confident it will be reinstated. But uh, we're, we're going to be, you know, we're, we're here to stay. And I think that's maybe the message here for 2019 compared to, you know, 15 years ago when we first uh, had a conference. Uh, wow, look at far, how, how far we've come. Uh, we're not going to rest on our laurels, though. We're going to keep moving forward. Good for the environment. Good for the economy. Good for farmers.
1: I mean, yeah. my goodness. I mean, this is what I've always said about, uh, about renewable fuels.
8: Uh, I just don't understand the resistance to it because it's a win-win. It is you know and, and I know you've been a champion of, of, of biodiesel and, and uh, ethanol and so forth and uh, proponent of it we thank you for that and yeah I, I I talk with farmers still you know in different parts of the country even in my home state that well I haven't used biodiesel yet maybe they're in a part, certain part of the state that their co-op or their fuel supplier just doesn't carry I said, well, you need to, you need to try it. You need to use it. And and, and we really need to be using our own product. And you know, uh, one by one, it's, it's yep. a small uh, step. take a couple steps ahead and sometimes it's step, step back, but we're gaining on it. Greg,
1: good to see you again. Thanks for all you do uh, for the biodiesel industry. Thanks. Thank you, Mike. Greg Anderson from Nebraska, board member with the National Biodiesel Board. Stay with us. More to come from here in San Diego at the National Biodiesel Conference on AOA Adams on Agriculture. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago.
10: bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide. When you see how little they cost, discover Craftmatic for Less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand.
1: Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now.
3: I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Devorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, the hard
9: part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York banking departments. Maryland, 149 Oregon DM 31
7: Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa?
6: Play my flash briefing.
7: Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Or you can search for the American Ag Network.
6: This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill.
7: Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device.
10: I can't believe you found them.
7: He seems sorry.
10: We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm
5: honestly impressed that he was able to do it.
10: Right? What, did he balance on that big chair? Yeah,
5: I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year.
10: I really thought we had hidden them well.
1: If they can find their presence, they can find a gun.
10: 911, what is your emergency?
1: Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and N Family Fire.
4: Sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply health care coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical,
10: Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you
0: information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams
1: welcome back to the national biodiesel conference here in san diego kurt kavarek is with his vice president of federal affairs for the national biodiesel board kurt we were just talking about well i guess before we can look any further down the line Priority one right now is to get the government back up and working and do you you think we're getting anywhere close to that?
0: Well that's right. I, it's it's hard to act on any other policy uh items before the government gets reopened. I, I wish I was optimistic about a plan for it, but it, it at least now you, I think uh the two sides are talking or at least exchanging uh proposals that are, you know, somewhat more substantive than maybe before. Um hopeful that, you know, the end is is around the corner, but I'm not I'm not sure.
1: They'll get it done eventually. We'll just see how long it takes and what form it takes. But let's look back and and as well as look ahead to when that is uh, finally the government's back up and running. But we look back to last year. I know one of your big disappointments did not get the biodiesel tax credit uh, done last year. What are the chances of getting it done this year?
0: I think the chances are are, are pretty good. Uh, Just to to give an overview of where we were last year, Uh, we were expired. Uh, We got a retroactive extension in February of of 18 for. For 2017 only so it was already expired when it was when it was passed in February of 18 so we spent the year trying to get uh, get it extended as quick as possible we we did a lot of work both in the House and the Senate we ended up in the fall with the the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee uh, from Texas not a big proponent of of alternative fuels or biodiesel sure Uh, proposed a seven-year extension and phase-out of the tax credit now, the tax credit has existed since 2005. It's been off more than it's been on. So to have a, a seven-year extension uh, was greeted with great enthusiasm by the industry. Even even with the phase-out, it was a signal that you know there's a long-term certainty to the tax credit, which is what the industry has needed for a long time. Unfortunately, it was packaged in, in a rather partisan tax bill, um, even though it was negotiated be, between Chairman uh, Brady and, and Senator Degrassi of Iowa, our biggest champion. Uh, it, it didn't get across the finish line. We're, we're hopeful to start there, uh, but with a new Congress, a new new House, a lot of new members, you know, we're not taking it for granted that that we we have some kind of right to that seven-year extension. We've got to do the work, speak with the new members, explain to them the the need of the, of the biodiesel industry for long-term certainty, what we add to the country in terms of jobs, agriculture, uh, economic development, clean cleaner air, cleaner burning fuel. Uh, we, we we got all the right messages. We've got all the uh, the momentum, so I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, once the government reopens, there'll be an opportunity to kind of tackle some of these uh, unfinished uh, businesses in the tax area that have broad bipartisan support.
1: Then you've got to find the right vehicle to move it on, right?
0: That's right. It, it could move on, you know, a, a package that opens up the government or a long-term funding bill uh, would be ideal, but there may also be other uh, another tax vehicle that, that, that's moving that we
1: could hopefully hatch it right on. Do you feel... That if you could get seven years of certainty with the tax credit, that at the end of that seven years, the industry would probably be then in a position to not need it? I'd like to think so. I, if you if
0: you, if you you look at what the industry's been able to do, coming from about 100 million gallons in 2005 to close to 3 billion gallons uh, of production in the last couple of years, and that's with tax policy that's been one year back or one year forward, or at the most, two years forward. Yeah. So imagine what this industry could do in terms of a build-out in infrastructure uh, with a seven-year plan. And quite frankly, you know, this industry doesn't keep that, that full value of that tax credit. That tax credit exists to offset a little bit of the higher cost, but also to provide a financial incentive to the non-biofuels partners in the petroleum uh, chain who provide our fuel to the customer. Many of my members, NBB members, don't own fuel retail locations, so we need the buy-in and the support from downstream marketers to want to buy the fuel to make it available to their customers, and a seven-year tax extension that provides them a little bit of a financial incentive to do that would really ensure that the infrastructure is put in place so that we can stand on our own.
1: I talk about this all the time. It it is hard to explain to people uh, because they say, why does... Biodiesel need a tax break. Why does ethanol need a, a tax credit? And I keep explaining because they say, "Well, just let the marketplace determine." Things. Well, you don't control the marketplace. you right. You're not the the one that's uh, you know that uh, distributes the fuel. You 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 produce a fuel, a fuel additive, something that goes into an already existing fuel. And that existing fuel, those people in that industry control the market.
0: That's absolutely right. And I. You know, I, I, I laugh when people say, well, let's let the free market decide. Well, petroleum has had, you know, tax incentives for 100 years, and they, they still depend on their their tax breaks. And to say that there's a free market in the petroleum uh, delivery system is, is just false. And there's a lot of other uh, uh, costs to petroleum fuels that aren't included in the in the uh, what you pay at the pump, whether that's the environmental degradation or the fact that you know we've got to protect shipping lanes from the Middle East to bring petroleum to the United States, so uh, there, there's no such thing as a level playing field. Um, if you if you if you support American agriculture, if you want energy independence, if you want cleaner burning air, then then the the tax incentive for biodiesel is kind of a spit in the ocean of, of for, for what the value that you're getting from it.
1: Other legislative priorities this year would be.
0: Besides the tax credits, our primary legislative uh, priority, uh, we've got a couple of other federal policies that we're keeping an eye on, hopefully not necessarily in Congress, uh, but uh, maintaining and strengthening the renewable fuel standard, increasing volume obligations there, maintaining the integrity of the program. We saw with uh, the previous administrator uh, granting small refinery exemptions to nearly every refiner that applied, undermining the program. Destroying demand for biodiesel particularly, a couple hundred million gallons. So improving that program and the integrity of that is going to be key. And then obviously uh, uh, maintaining our wins on our, our fair trade uh, cases with Argentina and Indonesia. Uh, for many years, this industry was hamstrung by the fact that they had to compete with heavily subsidized Imports that they weren't able to compete with. We've leveled the playing field there and we've seen uh, enormous growth among our members uh, to the tune of 15 and 20 percent of uh, volume increases as a result. So we want to protect that.
1: Always amazed we have to keep reminding our own lawmakers that the RFS was to uh, develop and promote a domestic fuel industry.
0: That's right. That's right. And they get it. Uh, but, you know, sometimes we have to launch legal battles against these foreign countries to make sure that. Uh, America can compete fairly.
1: Well, this industry has accomplished a lot in the last several years, and uh, if if we get some. A little help, more help along the way can accomplish a whole lot more in the future, and hopefully that those things will happen with the, the tax credit and some other things. Kurt, as always, good to talk with you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Kurt Kavarik, he's Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. That wraps it up for today, but more coming up tomorrow from here in San Diego at the National Biodiesel Conference. Hope you'll join us. Have a great day. This is Adams on Agriculture.